This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with fingers crossed everybody knows the war is over everybody knows the good guys lost everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes everybody From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Good evening, happy Sunday, and welcome to the April 25th edition of the program. We are fast approaching the eve of the, I believe now it's the sixth annual, we'll find out for sure in just a moment. Uh, but I believe it's the uh, the sixth annual X conference held every year in Washington, uh, which is um, all about uh, the disclosure movement and uh, uh, the UFO uh, phenomena. And I will actually be attending this year. I'm uh, heading down there with a um, a small film crew, and uh, we're about to begin production on a, a documentary about uh, UFOs and the disclosure movement. And uh, it's interesting, the, uh, the X conference and the, uh, the organizer will join me here in just a moment. I should also point out that a little later in the show, Paula Harris, who is an Italian-American uh, photojournalist and, and one of the few investigative uh, reporters really working full-time in, uh, in the field of uh, extraterrestrial-related phenomena. She'll, uh, she'll join us a little later. Uh, but the X conference... May 7th, 8th, and 9th, it actually takes place at the, the National Press Club in Washington, which is located uh, just steps from the White House. And those in the disclosure movement that have been pressing for the, uh, the U.S. government and governments around the world, really, to end the, uh, the 60-plus year uh, truth embargo and, and, and um, disclose what they know about UFOs, and the ET issue. A lot in the disclosure movement have been pinning their hopes on the Barack Obama administration. Uh, and uh, many of them firmly believe that disclosure will come during the Obama presidency and perhaps during his, his first term. 
uh, for reasons that we'll get into a little bit later, perhaps on the show. Those that are really, I guess, uh, pulling the strings or those who are really um, going to make the decision of when and how disclosure plays out, for whatever reason, they decided it, it couldn't happen during the, the Clinton administration. It couldn't happen uh, during uh, George W. Bush's uh, eight years in office. Um, but we're told that the climate is right. Uh, and whether it had been John McCain elected or uh, Barack Obama, both uh, candidates were uh, suitable, appropriate, uh, I guess to be the conduit for uh, for UFO disclosure. However, we are now uh, a year plus into the uh, Obama administration. Obviously, his plate is full. Uh, and yet, those in the disclosure movement still uh, seem to be re- uh, a positive about... Uh, the inevitability of disclosure. But when is it coming? In what form? And at what price is really a question we need to ask, too. Stephen Bassett is a, a leading advocate for ending the 63-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding the ET presence, engaging the human race. He's also a political activist, a lobbyist, a commentator, a columnist, and, as I say, the ex-conference organizer, producer. He's the founder of the Paradigm Research Group, the executive director of the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, creator of the Paradigm Clock and the executive producer of the X Conference, as I say. And since 1996, Stephen Bassett has assisted many organizations and initiatives making the case for an end to the government's truth embargo. And secondly, pressing for open congressional hearings to take the testimony of former military and agency employees witness to ET-related events and evidence. He's appeared on hundreds of radio and television talk shows and in numerous documentaries delivering the message to millions of people of the likelihood and implications of disclosure, the formal acknowledgement of the ET presence by the governments of the world. Stephen Bassett, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show on AM740. Hi, Richard. Great to be with you and all my Canadian friends again. And, uh, you know, I, um, I don't know if this is an apt analogy, but, you know, I think of uh, Jerry Lewis and the annual uh, uh, muscular dystrophy telethon. And, and uh, I remember once in an interview he said, you know, the moment that telethon ends, uh, he begins work immediately on next year's telethon. I mean, how much time and effort uh, for you personally, because you're, the, you're producing this show, this X conference, how, how much time does this actually take for you to put this together each year? That's a good question. Uh, I probably a thousand hours, I would say, be about right. Um, yeah, about a thousand hours. And um, uh, has it? Is this? Was I correct? Is it the sixth annual, or are we now in year seven? No, sixth. This is the sixth. The sixth X conference. Uh, we did miss one year, uh, but in two thousand six, which was a rotten year anyway. I mean, it was. I try to forget the whole year, frankly. Um, and it's, but it's, it's, I, I don't create a conference to be in the conference business. It doesn't make money. It's lost 70000 so far. Well, I wish it would, because it makes, it slows the advocacy down. It, it interrupts the process. But um, it is part of PRG's advocacy work. Everything that PRG, Paradigm Research Group, does is to advance the disclosure process. That's what it does. There's a lot more. Uh, to deal with in terms of the ET issue than just disclosure. I know that. And I do get into some things. 
And once disclosure does take place and the ET presence has been acknowledged, there will be a, a vast array of interesting things to do. But until we get disclosure, we're, we're ba- still going around in circles. But you mentioned that... Uh, that you, which is where the government had us for 60-some years now. You said something interesting there. You said that this ex-conference actually is... Uh, it, it sort of slows the, the process down because you've got to sort of put everything on hold while you're busy organizing this thing. But how has... Actually, no, that's not what I meant. No, oh. no what I meant, Richard, was that because it loses money every year, right. and I have to go out and raise the money to pay for the loss, and that slows it down. I've never been able to make the conference, uh, you know, leave break even or better, uh, because it's not run as a business. No, no. It's it's, it's run to, to 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 maximize its advocacy uh, power. Well, how has it evolved then from from uh, the first X conference to now in terms of the kind of, uh, I mean, are you is it building momentum? Let's say in the mainstream media, are more mainstream media journalists showing up to cover it? That you know, the day following mm-hmm. at the press conference. <laughs> you know, the irony is that is that every year that the attendance gets smaller. And it's fallen off again this year, which is definitely putting some real pressure on PRG. But the media interest grows. Last year, uh, we were covered by a lot of media. We had an article the very next day in the Washington Post and the Washington Times. So, you know, fairly substantial pieces up front, as well as the entire the press conference uh, was uh, live streamed by CNN. Uh, this year, we've got a pretty good advanced media passes. I expect more. Uh, we may get very good coverage again this year. So the media is getting better and better, and we're getting more exposure. But the attendance has fallen off. The last two years were particularly bad because of the economy. Last X conference was scheduled for April, and then, you know, you had the collapse of the American economy and started in late October, worst possible time. And uh, as a result, just killed the attendance. It lost 26 grand. The economy is worsened in the United States. It's still a mess down here. So we're struggling with that. Uh, but with that in mind, let me tell you two very important new things about the X conference this year. Again, it's all about the advocacy. First, uh, the X conference was held the first five times was held in uh, outside of Washington in Gaithersburg at the Hilton Hotel. Very nice. But I made a decision this year where we moved the conference right downtown to the National Press Club, where we've been holding the press conferences. And now we're holding the whole conference there. And the National Press Club is in the National Press Building. This is like a, um, a, you know, it's a historic place in Washington. Sure. It's two blocks from the White House, 12 blocks from the nation's capital. It's in the middle of virtually every national, international media organization covering Washington. In fact, the press building, the club's on the 13th floor. The 11 floors underneath it are filled with news organizations. So you see... The game here. You see the. You're making it easy for them. (laughs) You're making it real easy for them just to walk upstairs. Making it real easy. Yeah. And so that's the first big change. That's the big change. But the second one is this. For the first time, we are going to broadcast the entire conference over the internet, live stream, all 23 hours. And so anybody in the world can watch this conference. Right? So again, the idea is to. And that includes media. I mean, you could be a reporter in Bangladesh. You can watch this conference. So we're trying to, again, spread its impact, right? And, and also, and this is even more important, if you're a member of Congress or you're a staffer or you're some political reporter on a paper, and, you, you know, you're, you're no way you're going to show up at the conference because you, you're afraid you might get tainted or something or somebody will question that, 
you can watch it in the privacy of your home. So we're making it easier for the big shots in town, and we know that they're interested in the subject, they just can't do anything publicly to watch it. So we're live-streaming it. Not only are we live-streaming the whole conference, but all, all of the conference will then be available for two weeks afterwards, I think from May the 12th to May the 26th, so that you can go in and you can watch it then at your leisure, you know, skip forward, go back, whatever. And all that is for just twenty four ninety five. Now, the, the reason we can do that is that one of the more important developments in the Internet world of late is that the bandwidth costs are coming down. Companies are buying up large amounts. And as we also know, the media players are getting better. Now, obviously, bandwidth has driven the rise of Internet radio. I'm sure you know all about that. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's also now about to have a huge impact on what we'll call pay-per-view Internet, where important events can be watched by people all over the world. And by doing that, they are funding the, the issues that they're interested in. So say you have a conference on 911. Well, look, say you charge 25 bucks or something. If a million people around the world were to watch that conference on 911, it would put $25 million into the 911 movement or the 911 investigation movement. That's true of the environment. It's true of you know financial reform, everything. But, but people are still learning this. They're still getting acclimated. They know they can get free video on YouTube, no problem. But they may not know that now they can get free video, they can free stream video on Ustream, live stream. You can go on there. You can set up a camera in your home and you could live broadcast your birthday party. This, yeah, this technology has become the great leveler. It's the democratization. Uh, every, now we own the means of production. And um, uh, it was once described to me by sort of a, a disciple of McLuhan, you know, that uh, those forces out there that want to keep a lock and a, or a lid down on everything, the Internet now has, has made information, it's like quicksilver. You can't control it. It's all, we, it's all over the place. And uh, the Internet has certainly played a large role in that. Stephen Bassett, organizer of the X Conference, is with us. Paula Harris will join us a little bit later. Uh, she'll talk about... Uh, uh, also, the state of disclosure and uh, some UFO uh, stories around the globe, including an interesting ballot initiative in Denver. Hope you'll stay with us for the ride. Phone lines available to you. What form do you think disclosure will take? And at what price? 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, Maine to Minnesota, one 740 Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. I'll be attending my first ex-conference uh, this year, flying down to Washington. And uh, shooting some uh, interviews for a documentary that... Uh, we're working on on UFOs and disclosure. Stephen Bassett, the organizer of the X Conference and arguably the world's most prominent disclosure uh, advocate, is uh, with us. Paula Harris will join us a little bit later. Now, j just to uh, uh, dial back here, when people, uh, when you when you talk about the sixty-plus year uh, truth embargo, uh, I, I'm guessing that you're referring specifically uh, to sixty-three years ago, and we're talking about Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, yeah, I. For convenience sake, I, I like to think that the, the truth embargo informally began uh, in early July when Ro General Roger Ramey 
reverse the story at Roswell from you know, saucer, you know, air, you, you know, Army Air Force captures saucer to flying saucer is emptied and, and changed the story to weather balloon. He did it, I forget how many hours, it was, it was 24 hours or less. Uh, and it's fascinating. I mean, it's just one of the most amazing stories in history. But, you know, it, 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 the moment that initial story went out in the Roswell record, reporters were heading for airplanes all over the United States to fly to Roswell. Uh, they were in their cars. They were headed there. And if the Air, Army Air Force hadn't gotten their act together, I, I assume the order came down from Truman, and gotten that story converted right away, those reporters would have arrived in town. They would have started interviewing people around town. And I don't think they could have contained it. I think it would have been done. And we would have had disclosure in July of 1947. True or false, not, the, uh, where I, not that I have you here to talk about uh, Roswell, but uh, true or false, uh, there were Secret Service uh, people on the ground in Roswell within, uh, you know, after that, uh, the reversal in the story. No, it wasn't a flying saucer. It was a weather balloon. But Secret Service people on the ground and, and knocks on the door in the middle of the night and people told uh, that, you know, to keep quiet or you'll be put in the desert, you'll be planted in the desert, essentially. Well, yeah, but those threats really, I mean, those, those, those occurred days later. I mean, it took a while for them to get there. They had to get the craft. They didn't know who had seen what, who had talked to who. I mean, it, it took a good while before they started, how would you say, t- battening up the hatches. But you see, if Ramey doesn't reverse the story, the press would have been there the second day or late in the second day. They'd have been out interviewing people before the Air Force even got to them. These people would have been telling them all this stuff. Uh, and and once the press got on, it would have been over. So that's how close we came to disclosure. So the, 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 the change of that story to the weather balloon, which has now been changed three times, two more times since then, whatever, is the informal beginning of the truth embargo. But the truth embargo gets formal, formalized pretty much with the Robertson panel in late 52 when uh, after five years they, they tried to shoot these things down. The ET started dropping our planes out of the sky in big numbers. We quickly figured, mm, that's a bad idea. So they stopped that. And then, you know, the government's thinking, well, maybe if we just sit tight, this will go away. And then in July of 52, they show up all over Washington. They're all over the place. One of the biggest events ever, uh, and there are people that were there. You know, you want, you want to find out how big that event was. Talk to somebody who was there in Washington 52. And so it scared the living bejesus out of the government. Not, not that they were attacking. They weren't attacking. They just there. They were being seen. And so the government realized these entities are, 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 are not afraid to push this issue. And so they pulled together a panel. They probably had several panels. But the one we know about, the Robertson panel, and then the Robertson panel concluded, though we didn't find out about this until much later, that it did not appear that the, the craft that they were seeing were a threat, per se. So they were, they were knocking our planes out of the sky, but that's because we were shooting at them, right? But that the public awareness of it could be a problem for the government and advised doing whatever it could to contain that awareness. That begins the formal truth embargo in uh, very late 52, early 53. Anyway, so we're in the 62nd year of this embargo. It hasn't ended yet. So everything the PRG is trying to, it's time for this embargo, and I think that is an increasing uh, perception of, by uh, more and more people every year. And the ex-conference is part of the advocacy to, to help that happen. It, the role of the ex-conference is to bring the issues to Washington, bring some of the witnesses to Washington, bring researchers there, give the press easy access. I invite all the Congress, I invite Washington staffers, whatever, uh, 
to let them know that we're here. It's not some conference being held out in Arizona or California. It's being held right in Washington. Now, this will be the first conference that I'm aware of ever held on a subject inside Washington, D.C., proper. I'm, I could be wrong about that, and if I'm correct, then I'll let you know. It will definitely be the first conference, full conference, ever held in the National Press Club. There have been a number of press conferences, but not a full conference. I think you understand what I mean. Yes, yes. Now, uh, so Cheryl Jones... history here. Absolutely. Uh, Cheryl Jones is uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the speaker's uh, list this year, former CNN... Uh, uh, news uh, person, I believe. At one time, she she was uh, she did the weather, and uh, but I mean that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting person to have on the speaker's panel. Uh, is that well, well? She's no, she's the host, Richard. She, she's been the host of every every one, and she's just wonderful supporter of us. She's the only CNN anchor that that has really engaged this issue, so she has that very substantial distinction. Uh, and we, we love having Cheryl, and she'll be there again, as, as always. Uh, we'd love to see some more interest from CNN. Um, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, we're very pleased that CNN uh, live-streamed the press conference last year. So, to, to sum up, the X conference is moving downtown next to the White House. We're broadcasting the thing worldwide. Um, and to, to, to be real candid, look, if, if, if we can get 1,000 of our Canadian supporters to, who can't make it, we'd love to have you come to Washington, believe me. If you can't make it to Washington, we can have 1,000 of our Canadian supporters, the people that just want to see the truth on this issue once and for all, to sign up for the live stream. The X conference would, would break even, it, 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 and we would we'd be able to keep the momentum going. Uh, and I would personally come up there and kiss every one of them, all right? Now, and, and what I mean by this, look, look, I don't care where you live. You can live in Yellowknife, Saskatoon, Goose Bay. You can be living in Queen Elizabeth Island. If you've got broadband, you can watch this conference. And so the, the registration is for both attending it in Washington or signing up for the, for the live broadcast and the archive for two weeks thereafter is all at x-conference.com. It's all right there. So please, if you know, this is a... This is a chance to show, and, and here's the other thing, Richard. If, if, if we start getting large audiences online for these events, we can drop the price of the event on site, thus increasing the attendance, which allows us to negotiate better hotel prices. And if we get sizable audiences online, we'll be able to drop the online broadcast prices. I envision in the very near future situations where a conference or a concert involving an important event will take place in some city, and he could have as many as a million people watching it online for nine ninety five. But they're all interested in the issue that's being presented, and that money then goes into the advocacy. It becomes a kind of entertaining global network of advocacy, of funding, and 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 uh, involvement. It is the future of political activism. It's going to be fantastic. And let me give you an idea how good it is. Broadband prices are down to the point where we could broadcast this conference to a half a million people. Now, obviously, we're not going to get that. People still not figured all this out yet. They're not used to it. But that's what we could do, and it's just going to get better over the coming years because they're putting in more fiber optic. A lot of Europe is completely fiber optic. It's Japan, huge, huge, and huge pipelines over there. And so I'm just, look, I'm a little excited about it, but I'm telling you, uh, 
this is huge if people will understand it. You can watch the entire conference. You can then watch it for two weeks thereafter, $24.95, and all of that money goes into the advocacy of ending this embargo. Pretty good deal, I think. So, so I, I, I've said enough there. I don't want to beat it to death, but that's the X conference coming up May 7th, 8th, and 9th. Okay, and uh, some of the speakers, Richard Dolan, of course, will be speaking, uh, Linda Moulton Howe uh, from Earth Files, uh, of course, uh, uh, George Knapp and George Nori, our friends at uh, Coast to Coast, uh, will be there. Uh, who else is um, AJ um, uh, Gavard, from, Gavard from Brazil, uh, one of their top uh, uh, UFO disclosure advocates? Uh, who else? We have a Canadian, William Saunders, part of the, the dual team of Saunders and George Haas, who wrote the uh, Sidonia uh, Codex and the Martian Codex. They're giving a special presentation at lunch on on Saturday. So we do have Canada represented. All right. And, um, it, I mean, do you notice a tone, a, a difference in the tone in terms of uh, how the, the X conference is being covered? I mean, you mentioned it's going to be live streamed on CNN, which is certainly uh, a huge step. But what about in the print media, for example? Have you noticed a, yeah. a perceptible change? Have they moved from a tongue-in-the-cheek tongue treatment to a more serious investigation? That's been ongoing for the last five years. There's definitely, the media is breaking away from the embargo, there's no question. Oh, you'll see the odd, ridiculous article. Time Magazine, for instance, is the worst, probably the worst publication out there on the subject. Awful articles. You'll see, but, but overall, I, I, I specialize in that. If you go to paradigmresearchgroup.org on that main portal page, you'll see some quick links. Go to the, the uh, media archive. I think I'm up to like 3,700 articles logged in over the, you know, going back to 47, but of late, we're getting huge numbers of articles, and if you read them, you scan them, you see this is, this is legitimate coverage. They're covering everything almost, not to the extent that they should yet, believe me. This is the biggest news story of all time. But nevertheless, the coverage is getting better. Let, let me give you, you know, for last year. I mean, look, I, I, I cannot complain about this, and I, I'm, I assure you it wasn't like this 10, 15 years ago. The S conference was held in April. On April the 20th, we held the, the, the after-conference press conference at the National Press Club at 10 a.m. Now, that, at that time is when Edgar Mitchell, astronaut, Apollo 14, uh, uh, talked about his experience with this issue and called for the administration to end the truth embargo, specifically called for Obama to end the truth embargo. Afterwards, he was followed by Major Milton Torres, the uh, U.S. Force pilot who was ordered by the U.K., uh, Ministry of Defense to, sh to shoot at a UFO over the channel in 57 and wasn't allowed to talk about it until they released the UFO file in 2000, late 2008. So that that conference, that press conference was live streamed by CNN. We got an article in the Washington Post and, and the Washington Times the next day, good articles in my opinion. Then about, I don't know, um, three weeks later, PRG was written up an article in New York Times. And then in January, the January-February issue of Atlantic did a big article, very strong, favorable article on George Norrie, and PRG's work was uh, uh, in that. But Washington Monthly, the same month, January-February, did a full exclusive article on PRG's work. All solid, all straightforward. I mean, how can I complain about that? So, so it's getting better and better. Now, has it broken out? Full out into the New York Times. Is it, are, are the major networks going and interviewing, you know, Edgar Mitchell? Are they are they researching what 
uh, Gordon Cooper, astronaut Gordon Cooper, tried to do? Have they gone and interviewed Paul Hellyer? Blah, blah. No, they haven't. They, they, they're still kind of stuck, you know? It's odd. It's sort of like, you know, a, a breaking news story coming on. Well, we've just learned that South America sunk into the ocean, uh, and then they cover it for about a day and a half, and then they move on. You know, you've got, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, that's a pretty big deal. Shouldn't you be following that up extensively? So it, it, it's like, if you go on the, the YouTube right now, you can find a, a CNN broadcast, Whoop Blitzer, of the um, November 12th press conference that was held at the National Press Club 2007 by uh, the one that was put together by James Fox and Leslie Payne. They had 14 witnesses, many of them, you know, military from out of the country. Uh, the thing was uh, moderated by Ty Side and the former governor of Arizona. And they did this story, and it was great. I mean, they covered it great, and you're going, wow, that's amazing. And then that's it. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, these people all said that ETs are here, and, and Simonton believes the event in 97 was an ET craft, and that's it. Yeah, it's like you score the touchdown, but, you know, where is the one-point conversion? Where is the follow-up? Yeah, 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 right. So it's like, where's the follow-up? And so you see, you see the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance here. But we're getting close. That's going to, I think they're about to break out. All right. Stay, uh, stay with us, Stephen. Back with more on the Disclosure Movement, the X-Conference. Stephen Bassett, my guest. Don't go away. President uh, Clinton was asked, a question by White House reporter Sarah McClendon about why he didn't do something about uh, disclosure. And Clinton replied, Sarah, there's a government inside the government and I don't control it. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. That was um, Paul Hellyer, former defense minister under the Lester B. Pearson uh, government, liberal government, back in uh, the um, mid-60s. Speaking out at uh, the University of Toronto, that was uh, will go down as a very historic. It is an historic uh, speech. Uh, it will be five years in September that he uh, uttered those words. How important was it at the time, uh, Stephen Bassett, for our Canadian listeners and our American friends, uh, when you had someone of uh, uh, Paul Hellier's, the Honorable Paul Hellier's uh, credentials, his credibility, um, his prestige. Uh, to come out and, and say what he said about disclosure? Well, let me say several things there. First of all, uh, the reason that happened was, let's not forget, was because of the efforts of Victor Vigiani, Mike Bird, and to some degree Alfred Weber. Kind of all came together, and, and Victor and Mike put that symposium together in Toronto. So we owe them debt of gratitude for making Paul's thing take place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Paul. love Paul Hillier. Uh, you know, we have a politician down here named John McCain who tried very hard to posture himself as a maverick, right? Recently, though, he said he's not a maverick, so I don't know. I was never persuaded. Let me tell you, Paul Hellyer was a true maverick. He was the real deal. And he's still going strong in his 80s, and I think he's just got a book out. He does, and yes. I think I'm in it. <laughs> I think I'm in it somewhere. How, how could so, you not be? I'm yes. to see that. Well, uh, uh, 
what he said there, though, about uh, Clinton's remarks about a government inside a government. Mm. When did that happen in terms of uh, the the whole? You have, I mean, Truman was once quoted about, you know, these uh, flying saucers and what it means to national security and, and so forth. But after Truman, I mean, Carter, you know, mentioned in a, in a very yeah. brief interview that he saw one, but then he's really been silent ever since. When did presidents stop talking about the UFO issue and why? Well, they never talked about it, uh, but it, it started to get away from them uh, with Kennedy. Um, and let me clarify here. I mean, I knew Sarah McClendon pretty well. She was a very good... The Clintons liked Sarah a lot, and they treated her very, very well. And while I understand what, what Clinton was saying, and, and Paul, in a way, out in... Um, or Dan, in a way. I, Dan, I think Dan, in a way. In uh, Hawaii, it said something similar. I, you know, I, I understand the phrasing. I don't think there is a government within the government. But what there is is a secret empire a basement to the House of State. And it's it's gotten away from the it, it's it's separate it's like it's like a pod separation in, you know, enterprise, you know. <laughs> enterprise the next generation. They're always doing the pod separation. It, it it's separated from the government in a way. And it's sort of running on its own. I don't think it's not governing the country. It's not a second governing. But it's 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 not it's not under what we'll call elected supervision anymore. Now, I think the people in it are still good people. I still think they have the national security interests at heart. But it's highly compartmentalized. It's very secret. And the potential for abuse, mistakes, is huge. Uh, and, and it's not what the founders had in mind. I, that, that is what is going on in my view. And, of course, that is where the UFO ET issue is managed. And, and no president can get to it since, uh, since uh, um, um, Truman. Now, uh, Kennedy... I think wanted to, but when Kennedy came in, he was he was he was thought he was, the, the military intelligence committee was very suspicious of him. Uh, they they were they they were not you know his father was quite a character, and it's very possible the election was stolen in Chicago. Kennedy was a bit of a playboy, and while he did have a uh, I guess you could say a certain amount of distinguishing. Um, he was distinguished himself in the war. He was a uh, hero of sorts in the war, but he knows about PT-109. Yes. They still were, he was also very young. And so when he came in, they were suspicious of him, and, and I, I don't think they played uh, uh, straight with him. The Bay of Pigs thing happened pretty quickly, completely blew up. And so I think they, at this point, things started to separate. Uh, Kennedy later on, I believe, tried to look into the issue. He got very aggressive. He, he, he was on the threshold of major stuff. He, he had launched the space program. He had survived the Cuban Missile Crisis. He wanted to see nuclear weapons eliminated. He saw a, a, a joining of the space programs. He saw an end possibly to the, to the uh, uh, Cold War. And I think he saw the UFO issue as possibly a bridge between us and the Soviet Union. Now, we know nothing happened because he was killed. And then after that, I think it started to just really separate. Now, when I mean separate, it doesn't mean that there are some people that didn't know about it, even elected people, but the ability of the Congress or, or the president to significantly get at or address or manage the issue just faded away. That doesn't mean that some presidents wanted to know. I think George H.W. Bush was definitely in the know. 
Did he have much influence over it? I don't know. If anybody did, it would have been him. But overall, we're talking about a secret empire here. We're talking about the House of State being three floor stories high and the basement 100 stories down. And so the United States has gotten pretty cockamamie down here. I guess you guys know that. You don't even tell you. Well, uh, uh, and we we got to get it together. We, we've got to we've got to get things back in balance, and we've got to start doing some reform. The UFO issue is a huge aspect of this reform process because the issue is so enormous and it's so universally known. There are plenty of issues that are important that one person out of a thousand in the street would know what the hell you're talking about. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Every, yes, go ahead. You're talking to people now who they have a passing interest in UFOs. Uh, you know, maybe they've seen James Fox uh, out of the blue, or they've seen Fast Walkers. But aside from that, it's it's a it's a it's it's mildly well, it's interesting. But they don't understand the significance. Explain to them why, in your mind, disclosure is um, the most important issue facing mankind today. Well, <laughs> we're being engaged by multiple extraterrestrial civilizations. I kind of think that's a big deal. Right? <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. Uh, there's potentially, well, there is substantial technology that has been sequestered and highly developed for 60 years that we can't get access to to deal with our problems because it's securitized and sequestered behind the truth embargo. That's another reason the accident disclosure must end. Thirdly, uh, the national security structures that were built to uh, uh, defeat the Soviet Union were also built to deal with the UFO issue, and they've become enormous. They're, they're the secret empire. They have become a major threat to, I think, uh, democratic uh, representative government. And again, I'm not demonizing. I'm just telling you, it's just a fact. It's a problem. This, this is big stuff. And so if anybody wants to make a case as a more important issue than this, I'm, I'd love to hear it. You know, I mean, fishing rights off the coast of uh, you know, Nova Scotia, I guess that's important if you're fishing off of Nova Scotia. Uh, even the health care issue in the United States, it's kind of important. We've got 30, 40 million people don't have health care. We're talking about extraterrestrial civilizations with star, very possibly interstellar propulsion systems or travel capabilities and new energy physics engaging us for 60 years. We're talking about unknown hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, having direct contact with them. This is the biggest story of all time. Let me put this in perspective. Monica Lewinsky came out a number of years ago, mid-90s, and had a story to tell. She said, you know, I'm having an affair with the president. She told a friend named Linda Tripp. The press got word of it. And based upon her statement, I then told the president, they immediately went into overdrive and launched one of the greatest media firestorms of all time. Federal investigations, FBI investigations, all kinds of legal action, tens of millions of dollars were spent, and it went on for five years and led to the impeachment of the president. Because Monica Lewinsky, an intern, said, oh, you know, I've had there with the president. Astronauts Gordon Cooper and MIT PhD astronaut Edgar Mitchell have come forward and said, based upon what I've seen or information I have, we have an extraterrestrial presence. And the press said, that's interesting, covered it for two weeks, and went home. That's all anybody in the world needs to know about the relationship between the press and this issue, the existence of news media complicity, 
and the presence of a truth embargo. That's all they need to know. Edgar Mitchell alone should have launched a media storm ten times bigger than Monica Lewinsky and her wildest dreams could have launched. But no, because there's a truth embargo. You can cover it to a point, but not beyond that point. Now, the degree of coverage has improved, and the, the door is opening, but boy, is it taking a long time. And so everybody sees this. Anybody with any common sense sees this and realizes how absurd it is. That's why they think the government's absurd. That's why they don't approve of the government. That's why the, the approval rating of the United States Congress is now currently at 16%. So explain... killers have higher approval ratings than that. Explain, then, why the disclosure movement uh, is pinning so much of their hopes on Barack Obama uh, for disclosure, well, or his administration, so his administration. But after 18 years, uh, and all of the public awareness has been raised, all of the work that's been done, the massive Internet presence and the UFO issue as well as exopolitical issues, the, the breaking ranks of other countries, uh, Canada, Australia, France, Denmark, Sweden, Uruguay, Mexico, Brazil, one after another, releasing tens of thousands of files, the Cometa Report from France, the, the, the space agencies emerging in Japan, Europe, India, Argentina just announced a space agency. Uh, there's stuff out there. They're, these, these countries are going to see them. This embargo is, is coming to an end. However, one of the reasons it didn't end, there are many reasons, but one of the big ones was the, was the fact that the national security structures were very concerned that it would go well. They don't want disclosure to lead to chaos. And the president at the time that it happens, whoever's going to be the president on board, was a very important factor to them, particularly if the U.S. does the disclosure. And the simple truth is, is that Bill Clinton was completely unacceptable. And so when Rockefeller approached him about being a disclosure president, the military intelligence community went eight. And I think that's a reason why he was attacked and his wife was attacked and his dog was attacked and every friend he ever had was attacked as long as he was in president. Do you think that they finally impeached him? Do you think that and it's then George W. Bush wins and George W. Bush wasn't acceptable either. So that, that kind of that's not a cost of 16 years right now. But in, in 2008, Obama, Clinton, McCain, all three of them acceptable. So we have a president they can work with now. I think they want to disclose. They will tell Obama. You are the disclosure president, and Obama will say, that's fine with me. All right, let's, um, let's take a time out. When we come back, uh, we'll, um, a few more questions for Stephen Bassett. I'm just wondering, though, as you're describing the whole Monica Lewinsky thing and, and uh, you know, the fact that there's no follow-up, Edgar Mitchell... Uh, you know, talks about the government must disclose. Here's the, the sixth man who walked on the moon. Uh, Buzz Aldrin on MSNBC, uh, just in a casual sort of uh, sidebar remark, mentions this geometric form that's been found on Phobos. Uh, I mean, that should be a screaming headline in the New York Times, but nothing, nothing. Is this... This silence on the part of the mainstream media, is that a reflection of the, the extent of the control of the secret empire that you were referring to? I want to pick up on that point when we come back as we discuss disclosure here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. A few moments remain with uh, Stephen Bassett from the Paradigm Research Group and also the uh, organizer of the X Conference, which runs May 7th, 8th, and 9th in uh, Washington, D.C. at the uh, National Press Club. 
And uh, again, give us the uh, particulars if people want to uh, subscribe to the uh, the uh, the stream, Stephen. Well, if they go to x-conference.com, they can go right to the live stream registration, or they can go to the conference registration. Either one. Uh, obviously, for most people, uh, it's it's the it's the live stream, and they can't come to Washington. Uh, but uh, boy, I tell you, if we could, if we could, if if our Canadian army could marshal its forces up there and and we could get a thousand signed up. It would just really change uh, the picture here, but dramatically. So please spread the word to, through your email lists and to your Facebook group uh, friends and your MySpace friends and what have you about the X Conference, particularly the live stream x-conference.com. It's easy. You sign up. You get uh, a user, a, pa- a name, uh, a username, and a password, and some instructions. And then uh, it goes on, I think uh, it'll go on at 8.45 Friday night, the 7th. Runs all the way through to Monday morning uh, with some breaks, obviously, but the schedule's right there on the site. And then starting the 12th, full two weeks, go in and watch any, any, anything you want, anytime you want. Uh, it's $24.95. All the money goes to the advocacy uh, disclosure work that PRG is doing. Um, so uh, that's what's happening there. Now, i got another important announcement. Uh, PRG recently announced, put out a national press release, that it will hold a second conference each year. And that second conference has already been scheduled for the National Press Club October 22 to 24. Now, what's important about this conference? It's not the X conference. It is called Contact 2010. Next year it will be called Contact 2011. If needed. (laughs) And what we're doing is this is something I've been contemplating for years, and I think it's time to do it. It's time to bring the contact phenomena, which is the the number one exopolitical issue, and one of the most difficult issues that are going to have to be addressed, to the forefront of the disclosure movement. And so on October 22 to 24, PRG is going to hold the first major conference exclusively dealing with contact, physical contact phenomena, in the United States or in the world since 1992. The uh, Alien Abduction Study Conference, co-organized by John, Dr. John Mack and Dr. David Pritchard, held on the campus of MIT. It'll be the first conference of its kind ever in Washington or at the Press Club again. Uh, in other words, we're going to bring about a dozen contactees who have strong recollections of their story and the ability to present well to the public, not everybody does, and present under their own name along with some of the top researchers in the world, and we're going to bring them within two blocks of the White House, and we're going to let this issue play out. We suspect that the media might be very interested in this. So this is a significant event, and it will be live-streamed worldwide as well. The conference registration on site it won't go up for three weeks or, or so. However, the online registration is already up. And so you can register for the live broadcast of this conference right now. The website is contact2010.com. No numbers, all letters. One word, contact2010.com. And you can easily see the link to the uh, live broadcast, which will include two weeks of archive. So, you get the picture here, Richard. We're sending a message to the government, not only uh, in May with the X conference again, but also in October, six months later, and they'll always be roughly at that time of year of the year, that, you know, in terms of the ET presence, 
you're going to have to deal with that. In terms of ETs shutting down nuclear missiles, you're going to have to deal with that. Putting crop circles in fields, uh, harvesting material from animals, you're going to have to deal with that. And direct contact with human beings in the numbers we don't know but could easily be in the millions. The vast majority of all contactees are still closeted. Though thousands and thousands have come forward. You're going to have to deal with that, too. You know why? Because we spend trillions of dollars to pay for our government. You work for us. These are the important issues in the world, and you will deal with them. The idea is that you'll do what you please and deal with what you want and the hell with us. That doesn't fly anymore. That's why we've got Tea Party movements and all kinds of stuff going on down here, and, and also in other countries. People have had it with non-responsive government run by liars and crooks who don't do their damn job. And they're really going to start losing their jobs and go into jail. All well and good. This issue is bigger than that. This is the nature of the world. This is the way it is. The Earth goes around the sun. The Earth is round. The universe is at least 14 billion years old. It's loaded with other uh, extraterrestrial entities and civilizations, and they're engaging us. That is the way the world is. And the government's job is to tell us the truth about the way the world is. That's fundamental primal law. You can't legislate that away. No government can say, you know, we're going to tell you from now on the world is flat, and the Earth is, is at the center of the universe, and you will accept it. Uh-uh. You can't legislate this reality. That kind of stuff has got to end. Governments love to do this. They will tell you up is down, left is right, good is bad, black is white, whatever. They will do it if you let them get away with it. We have to stop doing that. The ET issue is the number one lever to pry open now, this you're, you Gordian take... mess, this knotted mess that has developed over the last 60 years as we plied our way through the Cold War and this ET phenomenon, this massive transitional event. Sure, I'm not blaming too much here. I mean, you know, people are doing what they're doing and things get messed up. We understand that. But still, you've got to solve it. You can't just say, well, we couldn't help ourselves, but we're not going to do anything about it. No. So let's get back in the truth business. Let's start supporting the advocacy. Let's challenge the government on all fronts, not just on those that are convenient. And let's get this thing done before somebody blows something else up. And we go off into 20 more years of darkness, running around in circles, chasing our tails. There's always going to be something. Somebody's going to invade some country. Somebody's going to open a, uh, a night of bomb somewhere. And the next thing you know, we'll be watching six months of news about that. Once we get disclosure done, it's done forever. It can't be undone. Then we're in the post-disclosure world, and whatever decisions we make about who to go to war with or what to blow up will be made at least in that reality where we know that, well, in addition to our other earthly problems, there's a galaxy of civilizations that might like to interact with us if we would get our head in the right place. Can you even imagine a show? Uh, can you imagine uh, what a post-disclosure world will look like? What I mean, will we be driving cars? Will there be uh, uh, you know money? Will there be uh, a nation state? What will a post-disclosure uh, world look like? First ten years. I see an ET physics of uh, energy physics emerging, which will completely replace all carbon-based fuels. I see the cost of energy dropping 80, 90, maybe 95%. I see us all driving electric cars when it costs us two cents a mile to drive them. I see 
complete desalinization plants all over the world, producing all the necessary fresh water, guaranteeing no more deaths from thirst, plus arable lands, more food. I see the drop in terrorism. I see the shift of trillions of dollars away from costly energy into other uh, 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 human endeavors, thus improving economies worldwide. I see the explosion of business opportunities worldwide. I see a more globalization of the group of nations, not a global government, but rather a more globalized group of nations that are acting more in concert, possibly full open contact with extraterrestrials, possibly humans, within 10 years now, traveling to the stars. All of that, I believe, is right for us. But we can't get there because no one in the government has yet figured out how to end the truth embargo. Is that what it is? It's just They're reaching out to us and saying, come help us. We can't get this done. So if a bunch of you would just put even more pressure on us, maybe we'll get it done. Is there one person you need to get to? Is it one of the Rockefellers? Is it one person who's ultimately going to wake up one morning and say, today's the day? You know, uh, No, it's millions of people that are going to wake up. Look, No, 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 but who's, the, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Of Mark Cuban, of Spielberg, of Lucas, of whatever. If they just put a million dollars into the advocacy movement, I can't. you can't imagine the kind of stuff we could do. That said, ultimately this is a collective mass human effort Awareness of this issue is growing exponentially. Exopolitics is spreading around the world, or at least the, the, the field of study is, and the disclosure movement is growing. Uh, other countries are breaking ranks. Look, the New Zealand just broke ranks a few weeks ago, started releasing their files. Who knows we'll do it next. So the truth embargo is going to end. That's inevitable, and it's probably very likely soon. The question is, is it soon enough? I mean, why don't we just wait a few years? Well, what if two months from now... There's a there's a, there's a, a bombing of Iran, leading to a massive war in the Middle East. Guess what we're going to be dealing with for the next nine, ten, fifteen years? Is that what we want? I mean, the history of civilization since summer in the ancient Mesopotamian plains has been endless war, war after war without end. Is it a time to maybe shift our focus to maybe something else? And I think. The presence of extraterrestrials is a pretty interesting option that might take our attention away from old paradigm thinking, where whatever you whatever your problem is, go to war, that'll solve it, to, hmm, there's a, a vast galaxy out there, why don't we start cooperating so we can go visit it, instead of blowing things up to make points. This is not complicated, Richard. This is so simple at times, it drives me crazy. This is not hard. All right. Tell the truth cooperate, move on. What is so hard about that? Stephen, I look forward to uh, meeting you finally face-to-face, May uh, 7th, yes, 8th, and 9th. And uh, again, people can subscribe to the uh, the stream. Uh, register for that at uh, x-conference.com. See you in a few weeks, Stephen. Sure. Paula Harris joins See us next. See you in May. All right, bye-bye. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides... You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. 
We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of Satan time speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, before we be uh, we continue with the uh, disclosure uh, discussion, let me mention that uh, the world theatrical premiere of United We Fall, this is a documentary about uh, North American Union, and uh, I had the privilege of uh, sitting down for an on-camera interview uh, with the, the producers, uh, so I'll be featured in the documentary United We Fall, and I'll also be presenting it or co-presenting it on Friday, June the 18th at uh, 7 p.m. at the Bloor Cinema. And I'll be co-presenting with uh, Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture. Uh, again, Friday, June 18th, United We Fall. Tickets are $10 each, and uh, you can now purchase those uh, over the phone by calling 416-916-1696. 416-916-1696. Friday, June 18th. Mark it on your calendar, 7 p.m. We'll see you at the Bloor Cinema for United We Fall. All right. Back to UFO disclosure. and Let's get another perspective in on this. Uh, that was a very intense... Well, he's always full of passion, uh, Stephen Bassett, to be sure. Uh, but for now, we're going to hear from a, um, an Italian-American photojournalist and an investigative reporter in the field of ET-related phenomena research. She's also a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. They always seem to be ahead of the curve uh, in this area, don't they? She's studied extraterrestrial-related phenomena since 1979... She's on personal terms with many of the leading researchers in the field. From 1980 to 1986, she assisted Dr. J. Allen Hynek with his UFO investigations and has interviewed many top military witnesses concerning their involvement in the government truth embargo. In 1997, Paula met and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico and became a personal friend and confidant. She was instrumental in having his book, The Day After Roswell, for which she wrote the preface, translated into Italian. She consequently brought Colonel Corso to Italy for the editorial group for Turo, publisher of Il, um, Il Giorno. Oh, I'm not even going to try, try to pronounce that. Anyway, uh, always a delight to have uh, Paula Harris here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Paula. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Str uh, struggling a little bit with my throat tonight, so excuse that in advance. Uh, and also, thank you for your patience. But you know, when uh, Mr. Bassett gets on a roll, uh, you, you sort of got to move out of the way or get uh, or get run over. He's so passionate, and I love having him on. Uh, well, you know, he's done such good work, and it's people who come from the heart, like uh, like Stephen Bassett, that really take this on that we have to admire. 
Well, you t- take a little bit of a different track. I mean, you're all, let's face it, you're all on the same team, but your methods may be slightly different. Uh, and I guess maybe because you have sort of one foot in the European reality and one foot over here, stateside. Uh, but can you compare and contrast maybe the European disclosure movement with the North American disclosure movement? Are they uh, ahead of the game, behind the game? Europe, I mean. Well, the thing is, uh, in, in the North, I don't think we have a unified North American uh, disclosure movement, you know, per se, because there's a lot of us in, in America, and I'm in Boulder, Colorado right now, that <clears throat> believe that disclosure is happening. You know, it's happening when uh, people like Jeff Peckman is able to get the extraterrestrial commission on a ballot and people have to vote for it on the 10th of August. I mean, that's disclosure. But Europe looks at it differently in that they look at the phenomenon differently because America tends to commercialize it, and there's a ridicule factor. And a lot of the conferences, for instance, Roswell, have a party atmosphere or, you know, people dressed up as aliens with tinfoil hats and, and uh, you know, T-shirts and all that kind of thing. That makes it different because in Europe that never happens. We don't commercialize it. We will have a conference, for instance, I've attended conferences in Switzerland, in France, and in Italy. And what happens, it becomes an intellectual situation where there's a lot of professors and a lot of astronomers and a lot of scientists that come in here with people have to say out of curiosity, and they don't laugh. And they don't uh, commercialize it, and, and it's not funny. It becomes a more scholarly or a more, you know, uh, informational-oriented situation. In the media, it doesn't have any problem with it. Uh, when I was in Rome, I lived in Rome for 15 years, when uh, the, the Campeche situation in Mexico with the 11 UFOs that were seen in the infrared, that was reported. I mean, it was no big deal. It was reported on the media as, as an incident in Mexico. We're in the United States that hadn't even heard about it yet. So there is some difference between the attitudes in the States, which commercializes a lot, and in Europe where there, it's more, I think it's more serious, scholarly, and, you know, people are curious. Well, is it, can, can we say then, for example, in France, when they're, they're a space agency, the head of their space agency, uh, essentially, uh, I, I think it's the, the CNES, uh, I mean, it's, 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 I, I saw the, um, the, 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 la- the latest uh, James Fox uh, sort of version of Out of the Blue, uh, Beyond the Blue, I think it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. I should know it. I presented it at a, one of the local colleges here, along with uh, Victor Vigiani. But uh, in that documentary, the head of the CNES, I mean, his statement comes to cl- as close to full disclosure, I think, as you can get from a, from a member of the, the government. I mean, is it safe to say in France they already have disclosure? Well, I think what, what the story is is that even Italy has a, a website on its, its Air Force reporting how many UFO sightings there are. The idea that UFOs exist is a given. There are UFOs. We don't, it's not a religion. You don't ask if you believe it or not. There are. It's the way that it's treated in the United States that's different. France knows there are UFOs. They are the ones that produce the Cometa report. But I think they think it's a matter of national security and also air safety. They're looking at it like that. 
here we've got this other kind of, I'm talking about the United States, this other kind of vision of it being either silly or the people that are studying it are not serious or whatever. And, of course, we've got our problem with Roswell, where officially Roswell is still, uh, you know, the, the project, the, the Mogul Balloon Project with the test dummies. Uh, the, you know, it, it, that's official. When we have official problem, we, well, we can't talk about UFOs as being real. And the Condon com- uh, report at the University of Colorado, which is just down the street from me here, reports that there is nothing to study and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't produce any kind of threat to national security. And this is in 1968. We have this, this uh, cloud over the situation here where it isn't studied, it isn't talked about, and it's considered weirdness. In Europe, it's considered, including uh, England, and you, you probably know this, you know, with English, England releasing its files, if you have the Ministry of Defense, you have a defense ministry admitting there's UFOs and, and releasing files, you have, you have uh, disclosure, you have uh, credibility. You have uh, people knowing that this is a real situation. Yet those governments surely uh, aren't saying, telling us everything they know. I mean, I, when I look at Britain releasing all those files and, and uh, Brazil and, and France, I just, I'm wondering if, if it wasn't nothing more than a huge information dump, uh, almost part of, I think someone wrote a book about it. They described it as sort of camouflage, uh, camouflage disclosure. Or something like, uh, in other words... Well, I had a long talk with uh, one of the people involved with, with the Cometa report, and he said that it was more like the France was sticking it to the United States because they wanted the United States to come clean, and they mm. said, we're going to do it before you. And then England saw that France did it, and it was like a competitive thing, and they said, oh, you did it, we're going to do it too, and they came out with... They're, uh, they're filed saying, you're not going to do it before us. It's almost like they're racing to the finish line saying, we're going to be the country that decides that this is, you know, real and to take it seriously. This is, this is the media thing, though, Richard. In the back room, everybody's talking about it. In the back room, it's discussed. And I, I think that uh, I just uh, heard Nick Pope speak. I was just in Mexico City at, at a, a conference with Jaime Mossan, and Nick Pope admitted to us that he had heard in the back room of the National Royal uh, Academy uh, talk about the presence of extraterrestrials, and it was supposed to be SETI, you know, SETI, the, the yes, group yes. That's, that's waiting for the radio telescope. Yeah, 50 years later, and what do they have to show for it? Yeah, he said that when they were at the water fountain, they were talking about real aliens. At the water fountain, he said the conversation was different. Uh, in public, it's like they're waiting to see if there's some kind of strain of amoeba or some kind of virus or something that could be called, you know, extraterrestrial. But at the water fountain, the conversation in the back room is completely different. Well, uh, Paula Harris is with us, uh, and the website is uh, paulaharris.com. And let me give you the spelling of the, uh, the first name. It's P-A-O-L-A-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. Paula, P-A-O-L-A, Harris. Dot com. Why are the stakes then so high in, in the U.S. for disclosure? I mean, Stephen Bassett has some sympathy or empathy for sort of the bind that those in charge of the truth embargo have found themselves in. It's like they want to reveal, but they don't know, they're not quite sure how to do it. They want to 
you know, they want to make sure that the climate is right, the conditions are right, but they're they're uh, sort of up a tree on this one. But what is at the root of of this truth embargo? Is it a national security issue? Is it the fact that perhaps someone within the U.S. military industrial complex, you know, they have the 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 uh, this advanced UFO propulsion technology, uh, and they don't want anyone else to get to it? What is at the root of uh, the U.S. government secrecy? Well, you know, Richard, I'm just going to give you my opinion because I think there are several, you know, aspects to this. But having known Colonel Philip Corso and having heard him talk about how much back engineering went on, and it's not just the propulsion system. There was more in that craft than just, you know, they're looking at propulsion system. There were instruments. There was all kinds of things that have been back engineered from alien technology. I think that the person who has the most toys wins the game. And when you have this kind of technology, you cannot release it to the world uh, and without causing a total economic uh, collapse of, the, of our current system. I think people that study this on a sociological level know that, uh, you know, you're changing the whole status quo situation. Apart from the, you know, zero energy, the propulsion system, you're admitting that something other than you know, otherworldly is visiting us. There, there's questions in religion. Of course, the, the Vatican has already come on board, placing themselves in a position to kind of defend it if it happens. Uh, and you have, you know, a restructuring of an entire society. It's major. It's not something small. And with the United States in particular, they'd have to admit Roswell was real. I mean, how many times is Edgar Mitchell, and he did it at the X conference last year. I, I spoke at, at Stevens X conference and heard Edgar Mitchell say, Roswell was real, and we need to look at this and the implication of Roswell, the bodies, the, the back engineering and all of it. And what we have was total ignoring of that statement because it's like a tapestry. If you start pulling the thread, the whole thing comes apart and you're going to have to look at all the lies over these 60 years. Well, they'll also have to explain why they continue to sell, send astronauts up in the shuttle uh, using old-fashioned rocket fuel and, and how many lives have been lost on the launch pads for the Mercury and the Apollo projects and the shuttle program. How can they justify the loss of uh, lives when they have, perhaps, at their disposal anti-gravitic technology? They'd have to account and answer for that as well. We'll come back and uh, pick it up on the other side with the UFO investigative reporter Paula Harris. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. The website, richardserrett.com, Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, richardserrett.com, that's your portal to The Conspiracy Show. All the uh, information on upcoming shows is there. In fact, tonight's show on the homepage, and if you click on uh, Paula Harris, for example, that'll take you to her website, or if you click on Stephen Bassett, that'll take you to the Paradigm Research uh, Group website, and you can learn all about the X Conference. Uh, Paula, I'm, am I hearing sort of um, that perhaps you don't share uh, Stephen's uh, 
enthusiasm or, or at least his optimism that disclosure will happen during the Obama administration? Well, I share his enthusiasm. I've spoken four times at the Hex conference, so I support it 100%. But I do not, what I don't share, quite frankly, is the fact that it's going to come out of Washington. That is the last place <laughs> that it, it will come out of. We've tried, I don't know, I think he's done six of them. Uh, and uh, we don't, sometimes we don't even get, even get an article in the newspaper, in the Washington Post. Last year was absolutely spectacular. We had uh, Milton Torres, who was a pilot. Uh, I did an interview with him that's on the cover of Open Minds magazine, a brand-new magazine. And uh, he was present at that conference where he admitted that in 1957 he was ordered to shoot down a UFO. He saw the, the craft. He locked onto it. So for those people who don't believe there are UFOs, when someone's ordered to shoot it down and he sees it and he's telling the truth and he's a military man, they exist. And he, he testified, and then Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 uh, astronaut, he testified. We couldn't do more than that. I mean, that was, in the, that was at the Washington Press Club. And it was covered by foreign journalists and CNN and so forth, but it did nothing. I mean, the next day it was like we weren't there. And this is the thing that, that upsets me about the idea of, of doing it in Washington. The difference of opinion I guess I have with Stephen is I think we should take it to Canada or we should take it to Mexico or we should take it to Puerto Rico or we should take all of those fantastic people that he gathers and move it out of Washington, because I don't think that Washington is listening after six times. Well, but he and that's the only, I don't think Obama will, will take this on. I mean, it would be, you know, impractical for him with all the problems he has right now. So that's the only difference of opinion, is the location and the idea that the government will be the disclosing force. Well, but Stephen That's, describes this, uh, he, doesn't, he stops short of calling it a, a secret government within a government, although apparently Clinton described it that way, and that's what prevented him from disclosing. But uh, Stephen talks about this sort of secret empire, this pod that is sort of separated from the elected power structure. These are unelected oligarchs, I think as Louis La- Latham described them, from Harper Magazine. Well, what it is is the military-industrial complex. All of those, those uh, technolo- technological, um, you know, advancements were farmed out to corporations. So if you talk to Stephen Gurren, you probably have interviewed yes, him. Yes, give you the many list. times. Yeah, he'll give you all the list of the corporations that are involved, and this is money, and these are corporations, and this is what's called, you know, the black budget projects or the secret. Projects, you know, money runs the planet, and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, Richard. This is a money situation. But what's the and good, when, for example? When we have that, you you have money involved, and you have uh, this kind of technology involved, and you have these black projects. I don't think half the people in Washington State itself know what's going on. I think you can go and talk to any number of senators or, you know, people, and they don't know what, the left hand don't know what the right hand is doing. It's very, very compartmentalized. So I don't think it's even their fault, because they don't know. And if they did know, there's hardly too much they could do about it. I am a believer that the people are the movers and shakers. It's the people that can change it. 
It's the people that can demand disclosure. It's the people that are the, the, peop, uh, the people themselves, just like with what happened with Jeff Peckman here. That was the people that put it on the ballot. Explain the uh, Extraterrestrial Commission uh, in Denver. What is that initiative? All right, well, Jeff Peckman, who saw the Stan Romanak film, Stan Romanak, by the way, is an amazing contact case. He, he was convinced uh, that uh, there needed to be some serious um, department uh, to deal with the extraterrestrial issue, a department that needed funds, that needs, uh, you know, research, that needs to deal with this. So what he did was he got 7,000 signatures here. It's Denver, not Colorado, but the city of Denver. He was able to get 7,000 signatures to be able to put this on the ballot for August 10th. Now, we have an election August 10th here in, in Colorado, and there's all these different ballot initiatives. And this is the first time ever that I know of in the history of the United States that anything E.T. is on a ballot. Now, there are people that are laughing at this, and there are people that are serious about this. Do I think it's going to pass? No, I don't think any government situation is, is going to deal with it. But the idea that he's gotten a tremendous amount of publicity, that Jeff Peckman's been on the David Letterman show and had a serious conversation with David Letterman. Yeah, he did seem genuinely interested. Oh, he was, but the, it was because of the who was speaking. It was, uh, Jeff Peckman is very, very articulate. And uh, I, I, I don't know if you saw it. It's on his website, but at the very end, Peckman asked Letterman if he would like to be part of the, um, you know, welcoming party to some of these E.T. races. You know, would he like to be there? And <laughs> I, I had to laugh because... You know, he was caught off guard, Letterman. He said, well, I, I guess I guess I might like to be there. But, you know, what's interesting about that sociologically is the Peckman addressed who was inside the, the UFOs. The problem we're having with the military, the military-industrial complex, and everybody else who's dealing with the craft, they're dealing with, the, with all of the outside part the outside part of what we're dealing you know, of the UFO question. Very few people are dealing with who's inside and what that's all about. If uh, Denver were to vote uh, uh, for the, the uh, creation of this ET commission, what, what would that mean in practical purposes? What would, it be, what would its duties be? Well, in the, in the statutes there... They've listed the, to get funding for research, number one, because, you know, we all do this with no money. I mean, there's no, nobody sponsoring this stuff. Everything I'm doing is coming out of my pocket, and, and Stephen, too, has, has to do that. Um, and number two, to get legitimate research studies with, you know, having it be done in a university uh, with people that are qualified, researchers that are qualified, and then number three, having the commission deal with the idea of, of uh, how, how the world can plan for contact. I mean, exopolitics, for me, the formal definition that I have is the sociological and the political implications of this. This is not something that should be ever, ever dealt with in, with one nation. It should be worldwide planetary. I mean, I don't, I, I'll say United Nations, but... 
I think there should be a, a, a different kind of United Nations to deal with this kind of thing. It shouldn't be one country that has contact with these people. So it has all of those different uh, statutes in there, and it, it, the first thing I think it does is recognize it's a, it, that it's an issue, that recognize that it's real, that it has to be dealt with. What's uh, at stake if uh, the United States isn't first sort of with uh, formal disclosure? Uh, let's say it's China. Um, I mean, if, in fact, the back-engineered technology resides in the United States, uh, then what, what difference does it make if, if China discloses first or France? Until the U.S. discloses, that's all really that matters, is it not? Well, the trouble, you know, so we've had situations in China where, you know, the first lady, uh, or was that Japan, talked about UFO situation in the Orient. She she said that they existed. I believe it was uh, Japan, yeah. Japan. We've had Secretary General Uthant that dealt with the situation, the UFO situation, and wanted the United Nations to deal with it. If you have the Ministry of Defense releasing files, you already have disclosure. You already have a country that says it's real. A president is not going to make any difference. I don't think whether a president says anything makes any difference. They're going to think he's crazy anyway. It's when the people that, uh, you know, like the Ministry of Defenses, uh, come out and say it. Now, you have a wonderful situation in Canada. God bless Canada. Because you had the courage of Paul Hellyer coming out. And he is a minister, an ex-minister of defense. And you have a man who had the courage enough to say that UFOs are as real as airplanes. And, they, and there is, this presents problems for the planet if we don't address it. In other words, he looked at it very seriously as the fact that we're shooting at them. The, the way we're dealing with them is not the way that a planet should be dealing with, you know, its cosmic neighbors. And he was very broad-minded in the way he addressed this, and he was taken seriously. So it, it, just because he's not in power right now doesn't mean that we, you haven't had in Canada somebody disclosing. I mean, he's not just somebody off the street. No, indeed. But what, what is the point of disclosure unless we can actually get our hands on this, uh, this free energy or, or, or uh, you know, anti-gravitic devices or all of these things that are supposed to be, uh, um, you know, have, have been back-engineered from crashed UFO sites uh, if we can't you, get our hands on these, th this technology to improve our plight, what's the point of disclosure? Well, you know, I do uh, first-hand witness source, uh, you know, interviews. And I interviewed a French, French um, uh, uh, geophysicist, and he told me that oil was going to run out in about 30 years, our petroleum base, in the planet. And I think they have to have a plan B. When you run out of oil or you run out of energy, you've got in the back room this thing called free energy that's not free. You have to figure out how people are going to pay for it. And I think that whatever technologies are there are just waiting for the current, you know, energy system to go down the tubes, and then they'll bring out from the back room this energy. I think it will be released, but I think they want to time it when they want to release it or when they want to give it to the world. And, and the real sad part about that, Richard, 
is that we don't have time anymore. I don't know what they're waiting for. I mean, we're, we're, we're at a crisis situation on the planet, and there isn't really time. And, but they want to get their money for the last barrel of oil that there is out there, and also for all the political structure around the oil. But there's a lot of vested interest in, in the Middle East on this. So, you know, it's a political situation that's stopping this from happening. I don't think it's just the United, Nation, uh, the United States. I think they're looking at the timing of it. All right, we'll take a time out, come back. Paula Harris is with us discussing the state of UFO disclosure on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Paula Harris is with us. Connecting the Dots is uh, one of her books. And uh, you have a fairly new one out uh, as well. Uh, Exopolitics, All of the Above. I think I have that title correct, Paula? Yeah, and uh, that one is dedicated to coast-to-coast George Dury because he keeps asking me if it's a paranormal situation or interdimensional or interplanetary, and I say it's all of the above. <laughs> well, I'm wondering whether uh, it's... it's um, I mean, there's a lot of disagreement within the exopolitical movement. Uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Within the disclosure movement. There are those, uh, even our, our good friend uh, Victor Vigiani, who's often said to me, you know, Richard, when we finally find out what, what is behind this whole UFO phenomena, it's, it's probably going to be something completely different f- from anything we've ever even imagined. I mean, you know, holding the, 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 out the possibility that we could be talking about uh, I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth. I think he would agree with this. You know, it could be uh, we could be dealing with time travelers. We could be basically staring at ourselves. You know, as the pilots of these uh, these craft. Um, it could be something from uh, you know interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial. Uh, it, you know, it could be an angelic uh, uh, a being here we're dealing with. I mean, have you pretty well decided in your mind what it is that we're talking about here? Who's piloting these craft? No, I haven't. And the thing that's beautiful, you had mentioned disagree, you know, disagreements in the, in the field. My only uh, separation from the exopolitical group is that I want it to be ET-related, so I just do extraterrestrially-related stories. I don't get into conspiracy theory stuff like swine flu and 9-11 and all that, because I interview people, and I go to the source. I don't do anything on Internet. And I have interviewed so many people, Richard, you cannot even imagine. And a lot of the ones, in, you know, the contactees or people that have worked in the military have uh, talked about time travel. For instance, one of the people I interviewed was uh, Dan Burrish, who worked at S4 Area 51, and he talked about time travel. Colonel Corso told me that they had a time travel situation. And then... I mean, you've heard this probably, the Rendlesham Forest Bentwaters case, when Penniston touched the craft, because he was the military man that was taking the drawings and was touching the craft, when he mentally said, who's inside, they said, we are you from the future. And that isn't a public, that didn't come out public, but Larry Warren, who was a military policeman, 
who was there has been telling people this. So we got problems with our idea of reality. If this is so bizarre that it would destroy our idea of reality. So I agree with Victor Vigiani that probably our, our world as we know it would completely change. And maybe that's why people are afraid. And maybe that's why it's being kept hidden. The only problem is that if we don't evolve, if we stay in the cave as a human species, and we do not evolve, and we need to evolve, we need to be part of this cosmic culture. We're not just a planet out there self-sufficient. If we don't evolve, it may be problems for this planet. So I think as strange as it may be, I think we're going to have to try to wrap our minds around it eventually. Do you think you, 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 you can run the risk of losing the room, as it were? Um, I mean, for most people, when, they talk, when we talk about UFOs, they're thinking about you know, little green men uh, piloting these craft, and, and for them, that's enough. I mean, that's about as far as you know, their imagination can take them. But when you start talking about uh, time travel, or even some in the exopolitical movement, uh, you know, who are talking about the existence of a Stargate in the, uh, you know, in uh, uh, the sands uh, of Iraq, and perhaps that was the impetus for the U.S. going in uh, during the Desert War to get to the the Stargate before Hussein. I think you know who I'm, you know, I'm referring to here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there is a risk here of, uh, you know, you try. We're trying to reach out to, uh, you know, mainstream America, people living in Iowa, and 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 so forth. Uh, you run the risk of losing the room when you start talking about some of these things, time travel and so forth. Well, the thing is, I, I, I always tell my colleagues, if people, people that are interested, you can have an intelligent conversation with, but it's not religion. You don't force this upon them. You don't go and just, you know, force the issue with people or make them talk about it because it's extremely uncomfortable. Uh, people aren't ready to go there. I, I'm convinced one of the reasons why there isn't disclosure is because of the people. I mean, we, I've, I've done an awful lot of first-hand witness testimony. People are telling the truth. They, a lot of them are military. They've worked in these areas. And yet people will go away and they'll just let it go because they don't want to touch it. And I think they have a right. If they don't want to touch it, we, it's not to be, to be forced upon them. The problem is, though, that the planet needs to evolve, and human beings need to evolve. And if you're looking at this in an objective way, we're still a very primitive race that's fighting among each other, that doesn't know how to love each other, that doesn't like diversity, that can't deal with anything different. So that's not healthy. So that's not healthy. So whatever is visiting us may be wanting us to force this evolution. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, it, we need to we need to look at all angles of the of the uh, you know UFO phenomenon as a possible change in our evolution. Well, I'll tell you how I look at it when we come back, Paula Harris. Stay with us as we discuss UFO disclosure on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 
1-866-740-4740. Let me mention the website again, richardserrett.com. Uh, I do that because on the, uh, the homepage, there's a bit of a uh, kind of a, a, a slideshow or a flash uh, I don't know what you call it. I'm not the webmaster, but anyway, the, one of the things that's featured there is uh, my uh, featured book or DVD of the week. And this week, it is Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomenon with uh, my guest, Paula Harris. And that's what we're really trying to do is make sense of the UFO Phenomenon. And, and uh, I, uh, let, me, let me tell you my, my position on this. And, and it's one, uh, Paula, that is not necessarily welcome in many... Uh, sort of corners of the exopolitical field. However, uh, it is it is a one that I arrived at through the prism of my my faith, and I'm a, an Orthodox a Christian, Greek Orthodox. And uh, UFOs are certainly uh, mentioned in the Bible, um, and uh, I believe that the, the phenomenon is real. The question is, uh, you know, whence they came, and and uh, who's who who is flying these craft. And uh, I, I don't think we're looking at an intergalactic uh, or an extraterrestrial uh, origin. I think we're looking at an inter- interdimensional one. And I think we're talking about um, something from the angelic realm, both, uh, you know, white hats and black hats. I, because, you know, people have often described having very uh, positive experiences, uh, contactees I'm talking about. And then others, of course, have had just horrendous um, experiences um, involving what has to be described as torture in some cases. I think we're talking about uh, angels and demons. What do you make of that? Well, I think that's possible. I think that's, uh, you have a a very, you know, uh, it's a very open-minded approach to it. My my problem only deals with the people I've interviewed because I have, you asked me once uh, just now if, if I have an opinion. I don't. I don't know what's going on, Richard. I don't know. My job is to interview firsthand sources and get the information, lay it out on the table so people like you can look at it. People like everybody can look at it, and they can figure it out for themselves. However, there's some cases in Italy just recently the Pescata case of 1957, where this group of ETs that look exactly like us, they're flesh and blood people, uh, mixed with the, uh, with the group of people in Pescata, and they had representatives of the political, of the Vatican, and they had, um, uh, there was a council that was in, involved, a consulate that was involved. The book is called Mass Contacts. The pictures of these people are in the book. They, they housed these people, but these people had paranormal uh, powers. I mean, they could uh, discorporate and then, you know, uh, and be able to manifest. And, and uh, there, there's uh, detailed accounts of these people living there. This is 1957. I keep asking myself where I was in 1957. They were there for 10 years. Uh, there is not only mass contacts that have come, has come out as a book, but there are two other people that were involved in this experiment that I've just written books this year that I have interviewed. So I know this happened. The villa is there where these people were, and the whole experiment they have discussed. So that, then that makes me wonder. They look like us. They're flesh and blood. They have families. 
And then I'm wondering, what's this about? I mean, is it is this another part of the phenomenon? And is are we involved as a human race with the alien phenomenon? Are we genetically engineered in some way? You talk to Richard Hoagland, he believes there was a civilization on Mars. Are, were there people there? So we have the people situation or the, you know, the, apart from the interdimensional, it's like all of the above. We have also the, uh, you know, interplanetary part. So it gets complicated, but my job, and I'm going to keep doing it, is just to get, get the interviews of credible people and to put it out there for, for the listeners and for you to look at. All right, let's go to the phones. Linda is in Brampton, Ontario. Linda, good morning. Oh, good morning, Richard. Nice to have you back on the air. I just found out about your show tonight. Ah, well, thank yes, you, and welcome to you. you again. I wanted to bring up two points. First of all, I believe that the reason why it's taken so long for this uh, to be this disclosure to happen is I believe that the shadow governments are, in fact, these entities, and I think the leaders have sold their soul in exchange for technology, money, and power. I don't think we fully grasp how evil many of the world leaders are, for one thing. Secondly, um, no one, you know, both guests have brought up some very interesting points, but I would like to have people think about the flip side, that these things, from all accounts, are, I believe they're evil, from what I'm hearing and what I've read, and an interesting book by Timothy Good called Unearthly Disclosure is quite shocking. And I believe the flip side is, yes, they could unify us, they could unify the world, we could have this so-called world peace, but at what cost, being their laboratory lab rats? They view us as inferior, and if you talk to abductees and, and contactees, these creatures, you get the impression they really don't like humans. They seem to think they have a right to come here, snatch live specimens whenever they want, torture, rape, and even kill humans. They're also creating environmental disasters like a, a military, American military official who would not give his name for obvious reasons said that the USOs, the craft that go into the water, are actually responsible for heating up our world's oceans. Then you have a forest in Transylvania. Ever since that forest has been visited by UFOs in 1969, that forest is effectively dead. The sap sucked out of the trees. So I think we need to think about who do these creatures think they are? What right do they have to come here, violate us? Some of these creatures have actually told some of their abductees and their contactees that they have destroyed their planet. So, hello, they're coming here and they want to take our resources. I just think that there's another side to this that people need to consider that what are we giving ourselves over to? I know we're fed up with a lot of our human leaders and we have a lot of corrupt human leaders, but I think we need to think about, okay, are these demonic spirits? Uh, what are they really after? Do they want our souls? Do they want to control us and abuse us, treat us as their little slaves, amuse themselves with us whenever they want by abusing us? And that's a concern, too. I think we need to question the motive of these entities, whatever you think they are, even if you don't think they're evil. Um, I've heard ufologists say we need to not automatically trust them. And we need to get some straight answers out of them because they have a tendency to lie about their origins and if they're not lying, at best, they're cryptic. All right, Linda, so, great call. Let's thank get you. Uh, let's get Paula's response in here. I mean, it's, it's true. You, you often you hear it's it's all one sided. Either they're they're uh, these uh, ETs are are uh, utopian. They're here to save us from ourselves. Or you get the other side, and it's they're all sort of reptilian 
uh, overlords looking to dominate us. Uh, I, I get the sense, Paula, that there's we're being visited by, uh, uh, you know, at least two different types. Um, you know, some are well, benevolent and some are malevolent. Seven different types, Richard. That's what I, that is what is categorized in the Pentagon. Fifty-seven different types of beings. And, uh, and, and having dealt with Clifford Stone, who did a lot of crash retrievals, he says that for the most part they're benign, they're neither good nor bad, they're just there. And when I think of, of all the description that your listener said, you know, that's possible. It's possible, I'll admit that. But if they're watching our television, they see pedophile, they see murder, they see rape, they see the human beings looking at violence. They see us doing this. So I don't think we'd be too much different from them because I think we have a lot of liars and a lot of uh, uh, very evil people here, too. So I can't point the finger at, at an extraterrestrial race when I would, you know, I'm looking at who we are. Uh, whatever is visiting has, has uh, conquered some kind of historical evolution so they're able to travel in space we can't do that we can't go anywhere you know we're stuck here well as far as we know i mean there is the 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 line of thinking paula that um the uh the u.s industrial military uh, complex got their hands on this uh ufo technology uh you know the the testimony of uh, the, the deathbed uh interview conducted by Ben Rich from Skunk Works saying right. that you know that we've been to the stars and we've got stuff in out in the desert and hangars that are 50 years beyond your um, wildest imagination yep. what what do you think of that this parallel well, space program and he said we could take ET home that's what he said those were the words i think it's true and I've done some interviews with some people in the intelligence community that said we had a deep space platform way before Gary McKinnon came out and discovered it. So I think there is a secret space program, and I think we have done that. But that isn't us. That's a, uh, that's a select group of like military astronauts, we humans. Uh, except, you know, I think there is going to be commercial travel in space. I mean, Bert Rutan... And Richard Branson are, in, in Roswell, New Mexico, are setting up a spaceport. And, and this is a commercial branch is going into space, so maybe we will be able to get off the planet eventually. But when I look at, at, at judging ETs, I have a chapter in my new book called Alien Racism. I can't say what's happening until I know what's happening. And these are all hypothetical things. You know, we're interpreting it. We're, uh, this is our interpretation. So all I can do is gather the information. All right. Let's uh, say hello to Liz in Boston, Mass. Hello, Liz. Good morning. Hi. Good evening. I just have a quick question. Um, it's a very interesting subject tonight, but what do you think would be the end game for the aliens for keeping themselves secret? What good question. What would be the purpose of being obscene? Yeah, why don't they move the disclosure agenda along just by announcing that they're here, Paula? Well, I think it's subtle. I, I tend to believe, I tend to believe the, uh, the Star Trek theory there that you can't interfere in the evolution of a primitive race. In other words, you would completely... Look, we have the tendency of looking at very special people or at people that, uh, that are otherworldly uh, as religion. We've had a lot of masters, a lot of interesting... You know, leaders and teachers come down on this earth, and 
what happens within minutes you form a cult or a religion i don't think anybody's here to save us i think we're here to save ourselves and i think they're very careful the way they appear they may be doing us a favor however when you have a, a, something like a, a, a sighting over O'Hare Airport that we had in 1970 of a UFO that was seen over the United Airlines terminal, and all they did was just sit there, and without any interference on Earth, I think that what's being said is we have the ability to do it, we're just not doing it. But wouldn't the best way to dispel any of that be to make yourself public and have a dissertation on it? We sh- if you saw the movie, the, the Day the Earth Stood Still, and, and the remake of it, the first thing we did was shoot. We shoot, uh, shot whatever came off of there. We destroyed and shot at it. It's the same thing that happened in 1957 when Milton Torres was, was ordered to shoot the UFO in England. You know, I we don't understand that, it, but if they were that far advanced, they'd be ready for that. And yeah, they'd that. be ready for that, but I think maybe... Uh, it, it could be a situation, it's very interesting, This it could be a situation where they're waiting for us to be evolved enough for the contact. However, they are, they are going to the common people, because the contactees, whether it be in the United States or Canada or France or Italy or any place else, are being contacted. I mean, there is contact. It's just not formal governmental contact. It's not landing on the White House lawn. Liz in Boston, thank you so much for the call. And Paula... Uh, thank you for uh, spending some time with us. It's always great to have you on the program. And uh, uh, I know that uh, Victor Vigiani, were he here, would uh, echo those remarks. Uh, uh, Victor, as you may or may not know, is on an extended tour of the uh, the Far East. I think he's in Australia right now. He may even be listening online. Who knows? But uh, uh, yeah, he's a wonderful person and, and very. He's an educator like me and. We truly believe that, that people should be reading the material and making up their own minds. All right, uh, Paula, again, uh, the website, paulaharris.com, P-A-O-L-A, P-A-O-L-A, harris.com, and uh, the books, uh, Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomenon, and uh, the latest, Exopolitics, All of the Above. Very quickly, what are you working on right now, Paula? Well, I will be coming to Canada to interview uh, Paul Hellier on his new book, which is called The Light at the End of the Tunnel, A Survival Manual for the Human Species. Uh, and uh, that's going to be my next uh, you know, interview, live interview. And then I'm going to be on the James Gilliland Ranch on the 4th of July doing a lecture. That's up in Washington State. And uh, I know that while you're up here, we're, we're going to be interviewing you for uh, our uh, UFO disclosure uh, docu- uh, documentary. Unfortunately, I'm going to be with the uh, the uh, the other team uh, down in uh, in Washington at the X conference, uh, uh, filming down there. But uh, eventually, we'll uh, we'll cross paths uh, again. And uh, as I say, always a delight, Paula. All right, thank you. All right, Paula Harris. Okay, uh, let me see. We have um, next week. We haven't confirmed 100%, uh, but we're hoping to have uh, a remote viewer, uh, Douglas Cottrell, back on the show. And uh, also, we're, uh, we're uh, furiously tracking down uh, Jim Mars, uh, always a favorite here, to talk about his uh, new book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. And uh, then the following week, uh, uh, well, as I say, I'll be down at the X conference, but we'll have a special show for you here, not to worry. Uh, other than that, what can I say? Thanks to Dan Ellison, of course for uh, technical production. 
And um, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. And uh, you can follow me at richardserrett.com. Don't forget, Friday, June the 18th at the Review Cinema. I'm sorry, at the Bloor Cinema. The Bloor Cinema. The world theatrical premiere of United We Fall. I'll be presenting along with Patrick White. You can call Conspiracy Culture uh, for ticket information. 416-916-1696. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.